Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to At the Table with Demonique. Here we have real conversations with real people sharing their real life stories. I'm your host, Demonique, and today our special guest is Denzel Hill. Hey, Denzel. Yeah, what's up, y'all? <laughs> How you doing, Monique? I'm glad to be on today. Thank you. Before we get started, I just want to thank everyone who's had a chance to listen to the podcast and tell you all to please like, comment, and follow the podcast so I know that you guys like the the material that is being presented and that you want me to continue to make more. And please share it with your friends as well as your family members. Now, you guys know before we start any conversation, we always have to have one of my favorite parts, and that is snack time. Yes, indeed. And, yes. And so you know that in order for us to have a good conversation, we got to have some good snacks. And so if you don't have a snack, pause the podcast, go get a snack, and then come back. Now, before we have our snack, we're just going to thank God for providing us with this food. Because one thing my great-grandmother Lucille always taught us as kids was to pray over our food and give thanks. So, Denzel, if you would please bow your heads with me and I'll say our grace. Thank you, Lord, for this food that we're about to receive. We ask that you let it bring nourishment to our body. We thank you for this and all other blessings in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, Denzel, since you're our guest, you know that you're going to go first. So, tell us what is your snack right. today? So, I made a I made a nice little plate right here of food. This is baked sweet potato uh, with my fresh cilantro, and upon that, I have purple cabbage and um, a walnut and date uh, succotash over the top of that to add some sweetness and some crunch. I grew the I grew the cilantro and I got everything else from the farmers market, and we'll be talking about agriculture today. So I thought it was fitting to put together a plate like such, kind of exhibit my my day to day. Your plate looks delicious. Hold that up again. Let me <laughs> see that one more time. <laughs> we need the HD camera for this one. That looks good. So yep. go ahead, take take a bite. Tell us how it tastes. All right. So I know we got some sweet with the sweet potato. With the cabbage, I cooked it with some vegetable stock that I like to make with my kitchen scraps. Okay. That's a good use of leftover items. It looked like it's still warm. Mm-hmm. We got the sweet from the sweet potato and the uh -huh. dates and walnuts. And I got the salty from the cabbage and the cilantro is like that. And lemony right. freshness. Not so you make did you cook the cabbage um mm -hmm. and the walnuts? I'm, I'm sorry, the cabbage and the cilantro together, or did you just cook the cabbage and then added the the raw cilantro? Garnish with the cilantro. Okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds like it would be good. <laughs> you know, nice little snack. It's a big snack. <laughs> yeah. I saw you close your eyes there for a second. <laughs> It's good. I know what I'm doing in the kitchen now. I see. I see. Well, listen, my snack is not as nice as uh, <laughs> Denzel's. However, it is a cool looking snack. And this will be my first time trying it out. So um, if you guys listen to the last podcast, you know that I went to Target to find some uh, snacks. And one of the things that I found was this uh, Made Good brand. And they have these little star puff crackers. I imagine it is probably like goldfish. You know how little kids love goldfish? And so mm -hmm. I'm hoping that this will be a good substitute for goldfish. And um, it is free of the following allergens. It's free of peanuts, dairy, wheat and gluten, sesame, tree nuts, eggs, soy, as well as fish and shellfish. So um, I think this would be really good to send 
to school with kids, you know, when they have to share snacks like for Valentine's Day, Halloween, Christmas, because there's so many kids that have food allergies now. Yeah, nowadays I feel like food is taking a long step and, uh, you know, and just been providing something that's manageable with people's restrictions. Yeah. So let me taste this. Let me see if it's going to give me what I'm looking for. It's putting me into my mindset of the um, goldfish. Not as, it definitely has a knife crunch. Not mm -hmm. as buttery, though. You know how mm -hmm. goldfish have that yeah. buttery? Yeah, so it's good. I hate to compare it. I shouldn't have compared it. But anyway, this is a good substitute. And the more and more I eat them, <laughs> the more and more I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is good. And this is the Made Good brand. I don't know if this is a Target brand. Or um, or what? But I like it. Hmm. Okay, let me have a few more. Yeah, I know I like to have a few more bites before. Hmm. Look at this girl over there. I'm I see <laughs> you made yourself comfortable. Yeah. And you know what? I'm at the table with Demonique. Let me go ahead and eat this food. <laughs> no. Mm. It okay. tastes too good to just sit here in front of my face. Are you kidding me? Right. So let me tell you guys how I met Denzel, why he takes some more bites. Um, in a uh, another episode, I interviewed his friend, Chef Alexander Mack. And so Chef Alexander Mack, uh, you know, asked, invited me to Savannah to interview him. And Denzel was our host. He allowed us to record at his home and uh, Chef Mac prepared the food there. And some of the food that we had actually came from Denzel's Tower Garden, which he will share with us a little bit later. So that is how we met. We are new friends and I'm so happy to have met him. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah how's your day been going? What'd you do today? Um, today I actually woke up pretty early and I finished the art project I was putting off. Um, and when the sun was rising, I went out, took some drone pictures because I'm a, I'm a licensed drone photographer and I, I work with architects, real estate agents and, um, engineers, construction managers to, to basically tell the process and the finished product of what's being built. Not only that, I use it for agricultural purposes, um, when it comes to, you know, just surveying land and, just getting that bird's eye view on things and different perspectives to get sun studies and the whole nine yards, you know. But that's what today consisted of, and that's what a lot of my days consist of, just a mix between the drones, the architecture, and the agriculture. And that Friday, what is this, the 17th? And we're here, we're here now. So when you are using your drone for agricultural purpose, what are you looking for when you're helping a client to select um, land? What are some key things you're looking for? Um, first thing I always start with is the sun, right? Because with the sun, you get to understand whether or not you're going to have a lot of sunlight, a little bit of sunlight, or anywhere in between. And speaking of agriculture, sunlight is what, is what drives our decisions to put different plants that love the shade or the sun here and there and then. You talk about tree cover that you can see from, from let's say 200, 300, 400 feet up. And from there you can do like shadow studies or you take a picture at seven o'clock, 12 p.m. and 7 p.m. and see the difference in the shadows. And so you get a chance to orient yourself with what's going on just on a foundational level. And from there, the built world happens. That's, that's the basis of what I'm feeling. And, you know, it gets more complicated the more decisions you want to make, like where you want to put the animals or the animals going to be too hot or not and the water supply and just everything. Everything becomes a, a certain jigsaw puzzle that has to fit together. And so that's where mm -hmm. the drone comes into the to the uh, picture and then just showing off your pretty, your pretty little garden. Like who wouldn't want that? 
that birdie's yeah. eye view and these different perspectives of, you know, what's going on. I, um, honestly, I would not have thought that that much thought goes into, you know, surveying land when you're, um, when you're looking to start a farm or a garden. Uh-huh. You know, I, I thought you find an area that gets <laughs> some sun and you plant, you put your plants there. Uh-huh. I, yeah. So. I didn't know that much went into it. Um, when I was at your house, you had a tower garden inside your home. Right. But one thing I did notice is that the tower garden was positioned between two windows. Is that why you chose that particular room to mm-hmm. put your tower garden? Because you had, you know, sunlight coming from the right as well as the left? Exactly. So when we think about the sun, this is north, this is south. The sun rises from east to west. So they say wherever you have south-facing windows, so your windows are facing south, you want, you know, you're like you, not just your plant room, but you wouldn't want your bedroom, for example, on a south-facing south room or a west-facing room. Ideally, you want it on the east because when, when the sun comes up, you're the first to rise with the sun. And as it's going down on the west side, your bedroom is going to be shaded because sun's going to be hitting the other side of the house. And just speaking, for example, like a plant room or a greenhouse, we want our greenhouse facing south so that we're getting the most sun. Now, if it's facing north the other way around, you'll be getting hit with the, the more shade. But this is something that could easily be explained just by looking at Google Maps, you know. Like I invite everybody, just look at their house on Google Maps and press the the end button to for it to orient north, and then see where sun shines in the most during the day. Wherever that's at, that's probably south because okay. again, it starts in the east and and what is it transits around the south and then sets in the west. Okay. So it's it's all about like like you said, you wouldn't think about it until. Your tomatoes not getting enough sun or your tomatoes getting just shaded out by the trees at 11 o'clock and from then on you don't have any sun on your tomatoes tomatoes underproducing and so that's where i've started to chisel out my purpose and my path for my architectural background and my love for agriculture yeah well i'll tell you what happened to me last year my plants got too much sun uh-oh they were barbecued. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they were barbecued by the sun. I mean, everything was drying up. It was a mess. Mm-hmm. So, I I will definitely take those tips that you have given into consideration when it's time for me to plant. Because, like, we're at the end of February now. This is when a lot of people are starting to do their um. Help me with the word that I'm looking for. They're starting to sprout, mm-hmm. right? They're starting to sprout their plants. Like the seed sowing, they call it sowing seeds, you know, so sowing seeds. So yeah. so you reap a bountiful harvest, but let's say it like that. Yeah, and then so once the the last frost has passed, that's when it is advised that you go and plant your stuff outside, right, Denzel? Yes, ma'am. All right, um, we are. Uh, in Georgia. So do you know, I know there's like growing, um, was it growing codes or growing areas? Like zone, growing zones? Yeah, growing zones. I believe Savannah's 8B, don't quote me on that. Don't Uh quote me on it. But we're down in the eights. I couldn't, honestly couldn't tell you because I'm so raw to just the feeling of when I, yeah, first of all, I'm new to Savannah. Then for two, I'm, I'm learning. I'm still in the learning phase of agriculture and how it relates with architecture, the natural world versus the built world. But right now, what I can say is that our weather is not in a normal pattern right now. And so now I'm starting to do things like just observe nature. Like I've learned that when, when trees start budding, they know better than we do what time spring is really starting, regardless of 
you know, the clock on the calendar. Yeah. And so like, even though it may freeze after today's date, for example, I'm willing to bet that plants have a biological clock in them that tell us like, yo, all right, it's time. You know, I got more stuff coming up outside. I got basil all over the place, little baby basils sprouting up and other things coming up. The grass is turning greener. Spring's coming, you know, and that's what I'm seeing just through observation. Okay. So before you you earned your architecture, I can't get the word out. Before you earned your architectural degree, right? You were a college athlete as well Mm -hmm. as a high school athlete, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what what sports did you play? So, in college, I played football, and I was headed to the NFL before as Achilles before an Achilles tear. And in high school, I played basketball up to tenth grade, and I played. I ran track and played football all all of my years in high school. The football was the one I ultimately ended up going to college for, like I just mentioned. Did you um did you play your entire um college career? Did you play mm-hmm. all four years? Okay. I even, matter of fact, play? I even played a even played a fifth year. Um, and this ties into the conversation of me getting into agriculture, which will come up later. But um, I played cornerback after being switched from receiver. Okay. And I know you just mentioned that you had an injury. What was that injury? It was an Achilles tear, my fifth game, my fifth year. So I basically ended my college career. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. How, how, did, how did you feel after that? Like, what? Because you had dedicated so much time. How did you feel emotionally? What were you feeling and thinking? At that moment, I knew it was time to make a change because it wasn't. I was already started like my health journey, let's call it, being conscious of what I eat. But that was the last straw that made me go like, okay, cold turkey, let me do what I need to do to get my health back in order. Because that that was the that was the the, the tear that, you know, the injury that ended my college career. But I had plenty of other injuries that that ended my seasons before that, even in high school, ankles and hip flexor things. I've been playing sports all my life, all basically all seasons and so mm-hmm. it wasn't a lot la- it was my last injury and it was the one that really made me like make a big change for myself and, and how I nourish my body what um before you made changes what 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 did your diet consist of um you know what you know what really shocked me is when I saw what the health and I saw that milk wasn't for me I used to drink a lot of milk, eat a lot of yogurt, and beyond that, I was into like snacky foods because I was in an architecture program. I couldn't always get to the dining hall. I couldn't cook my food all the time. I cooked my food senior year, my, my last year. Um, I didn't have a meal plan. But other than that, I needed the most quality of food because I was an athlete playing right. Division One football. But there was a gap in my nutrition due to my lifestyle of being a student athlete. And so that's where, you know, I'm now in the phase of, okay, what's, what's the solution for that? Where do we, where do we, how do we bridge that gap? How do we like help students get what they need, even though they, they have only a little bit of time. Cause I used to have a friend that said like, you literally got to choose between studying and eating sometimes. And it was so true. Like you had to choose whether you're going to walk to the dining hall and then come back and get your rhythm back on and study because time is that finite being a college athlete at Columbia. Mm-hmm. So because you had to go to, walk to the dining facility, go get your food, that would li- that would make you kind of lose your groove when you were studying. Yeah, and then, you know, like dining hall food, it's not the, I'm not saying it's bad, but like. It's not always the healthiest. It's not always the best or the healthiest either, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be drinking milk at the time. I wasn't eating nearly as much vegetables as I eat now, fruit or vegetables. And so it's just the little things like that, just that just compound over your days as an athlete. And that's what creates our health, ultimately. It's our patterns. I think a lot of uh, colleges make it mandatory for freshmen um, to have a meal plan. And a lot of them also require that 
the freshmen stay on the campus. Um, when they are advertising to, you know, 18 year old students, they're saying, hey, look, we have a pizza bar and a burger bar and a ice cream bar. I'm just thinking about all the stuff when I was in college that I saw. It what there were not a lot of healthy options because they are trying to get the students in there to use those meal plans. Now, I will say that they had a salad bar, um, but what did most college students do when they made a salad? They had a little bit of vegetables, right? And a lot of creamy dressings. So it was more like they were eating the dressing than they were eating, you know, the salads. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just it's dwelling down to just food education that Mm -hmm. I received after getting out of college, after doing a deep dive. I'm like, yo, this could have made it so much easier. And then beyond that, there are things that we can do for our food system to make it even easier, like just growing food on a micro scale and just having these different programs centered around the foundation of meaning of life. And that's agriculture. That's food production so that we can eat so that we can persist into the future. You know, we can go as deep as you want in that conversation, but at the end of the day, if you're not starving, you're not studying. Nope. Or if you are starving, you're not studying. Let me say it like that. Right. I get, I got you. <laughs> yeah. um, so what cha- tell us, what changes did you make after that injury? Um, I went plant-based after discovering everything about, um, I got into the teachings of Dr. Sebi and learned about the things that I could do to start to heal myself and just the whole alkaline plant-based understanding of things and how my body will be operating that tip top shape when I'm eating these electric foods, we like to call them. Um, and so I'm plant-based now fully and I dabble in like fish every now and then being down here in Savannah, but I see just high quality foods now is just my ultimate source of nourishment and learning that food that's grown in the grocery store has came miles away and thus has less nutrients than the food for example in my tower garden or that i'm growing my growing in my garden has now made me pick up pick up the rhythm in the agricultural side of my work like now it's starting to to shift my attention towards that that sphere of life because i feel like it just takes awareness to, for people to know what their money is buying them and how that relates to how they're feeling every day. And then furthermore, how it relates to their long-term patterns and cycles that they live in, whether that's, you know, wealthy cycles or just, you know, that whole struggle and that a lot of people find their, find themselves in during the, this type of economy. And to my opinion, we got to start with growing our food because that's, that's our foundation. Like, Ultimately, we go to work so that we can eat. So if each of us on a, on a community block is growing some type of food, we can start to create some type of a market economy, you know, mercantilism and start to share and understand like, yo, we have what we need on the foundational level. So that's how it's going to spin out. You know, it's going to start, it's going to pair agriculture and architecture and create this you know, this whole nother rhythm I like to use, like just, you know, hand movements and symbols to kind of give you the feeling of the momentum that's going to happen when we put our awareness on certain things. So you want to see where neighbors are growing different things and they're able to, and when I say neighbor, it doesn't have to necessarily be somebody next door to you, but someone in your local community are grow- they're growing things and they're able to say, hey, I grew onions. Can I have some of your sweet potatoes? Oh, I grew lettuce. Let me trade you some of that lettuce for, you know, tomatoes or whatever. Is that what you you want to work towards? Yeah, put it, people? put it this way. There's a percentage of people in America that pay to get their grass cut. How about we cut that in half and make that the people that pay to have their gardens tended to. And those gardens are tended to by after school students, even elderly um, 
you know, programs and just anybody that really wants to get into agriculture. We're talking about urban design now. That's where I just, that's where my imagination's at. It's like on the right, on the other side of where we're at now as a reality. And just shifting how we operate, we become producers a lot more than we are as uh, are as in this current moment. Um, but if you think about it, right, all neighborhoods have a plan. They have a 10-year, 20-year plan. Urban cities have a 10-year, 50-year, 100-year plan, expansion plans and all of that. Let's start talking about agriculture and how we can empower people to do that. I really like that idea of having someone come to 10-year garden because if you are someone who is not able to get out there um, to take care of things, you can still have a nice garden. If Whether it's, you know, due to disability or the, whether it's due to time, whatever the limitation is, I really love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was right there. Yeah, that's really cool. So, so the the sports injury led to you following a plant-based diet. And let us just touch on that, uh, that title for just a second. So when I go in the grocery store, sometimes Denzel, Mm -hmm. I see certain items and they're labeled Mm plant-based. However, they contain meat. Mm -hmm. And so I think, for those people who are wanting to follow a plant-based vegan diet, it's important to read your food labels and not just trust it because it says plant-based that there's no animal in it. Have you noticed that some products I are labeled? I didn't like know that. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, so it'll say it's plant-based, <laughs> wow. but it will have um it will still have some type of animal product in it. So um, hmm. Just read your food labels. Yeah, hmm. read your food labels. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because, um, like for instance, for beef, I don't know if it's because they're they're saying, oh, it's a grass fed diet, so it's considered plant based. And I'm not saying that I've seen the beef label like that, but I'm just using that as an example so that folks will know to look at their. Um, their food labels. And you know what? When I'm in the grocery store next time, when I see something like that, I'm going to take a picture and share it online so that it'll kind of help folks who are looking into buying those items. But I will say this, um, trying to be a healthier vegan now, a plant-based vegan, try to stay away from the shelf. I mean, I know I just presented these little snacks, right? These little... um, uh, star puff crackers and that's okay to have every once in a while but if you want to have the healthiest diet your main the main area that you're going to shop in the grocery store is the produce section yeah that's where you're going to find all of your good foods that's a good point okay yeah okay I, I don't need to say anything else after that you don't need to say- <laughs> Yeah. So, so tell us what are some of the things that you uh, you grew in your garden last year? Um, in my garden, let's see. You want to start with the conventional garden? Yeah, tell us everything. Okay, cool. So I use like a what you call a permaculture setup, and that's where you basically mix and match what you're putting in your plot, so everything is feeding off each other. So I had thyme, ginger, turmeric, lavender a lot of tomatoes, a lot of peppers, shishito peppers, some bell peppers, and I think I had habaneros. Another type of pepper, I forgot, I had mullet, mullet leaf, bronze fennel, what else did we grow? Grew some squash, um, the zucchini squash. I grew cucumbers, I grew some marigold flowers, I grew, what else? A lot of different lettuces, you know, like um, um, butterhead lettuce, spicy salad lettuce. I love that lettuce. Um, I grew some potatoes and I grew moringa tree. 
that I was eating off of as it was growing. And what more did I grow? A lot of basil, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I said oregano already, a lot of mint, and some other things mixed in there, like a pawpaw tree and ashwagandha. I had a lot of variety. Isn't that a fruit, pawpaw? Yeah, it's a little fruit. Yeah, yeah I've heard of it. I can't say that I've, I've eaten it, but I've heard of it. Yep. How does it taste? I actually haven't had it before. Okay. It did, Never had did it. it flower? Uh-uh, it was too young. Oh, man. Yeah. So I know for some fruit trees, um, you don't eat them the very first year. Mm-hmm, correct. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, they, they take time to develop their root structures so that they can produce fruit. Yeah. Now tell us what was in your non-traditional, what you your tower garden? So, the tower garden? Mm-hmm. I grew squash in there as well, two different lettuces, some collard greens, some kale, some dill. That's where I had the marigold flowers. What else did I grow? Tomatoes. I actually propagated tomatoes, so I clipped tomato from my main garden and put it in uh -huh. the tower garden, and it started growing tomatoes faster than the, the original vine. And so I've been doing things like that with the technology, the natural and the, or the artificial you know, means of growing, which is becoming very fun. But that's that's basically what I grew. I grew herbs in that as well. And so I was playing between how efficient things were versus how long did they last and everything else. Like even today, I've transplanted the oregano from my tower garden into my, my main garden because it's now warmer outside and I also need to clean the tower. So I figured just rather than wasting the oregano, throwing it out, let me try planting it outside, see what happens. Yeah. So I'll follow up with you uh, and see how that works. Yeah, let me know. Have you um have you been to Disney World in the last ten years by chance? I haven't. So I remember I think it is at um Epcot. Epcot, yes. Have you heard about their indoor garden? Yeah, that's what that's where those came from. Is that where the, the idea for the tower came from? Yeah, that's where the patent came out of, was Disney World. And I just learned about this like a year ago after I got my tower. And I was like, ding, that's how I make, you know, impact with these towers. Just look at what they're doing. They supplement all their food, their traditional food growing with these tower farms. Savannah, Georgia, are you ready to get a tower farm? That's what's playing in my, in my head because Jacksonville has them. Atlanta has them. Other places like LA, I think some up in, I know the New York Yankees has them. So there's, there's opportunity for some real change to happen on the agricultural sphere. Yeah, when I went there, it was so cool because they have um, basically like piping, you know, like plumber's piping. Uh-huh. And it's going across the, the roof of the the building uh -huh. and things are just hanging and they're growing and it's it's just so cool to see that yeah so whenever you get a chance uh make you a trip to disney world <laughs> yeah, <we'll do. laughs> yeah i think you would really um i think you'll really enjoy it uh-huh i'm gonna keep eating do you need to pause for a second because you were sneezing do you need to... no i'm good Okay. Yeah. 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 So what is what do you have planned for the future? Like what are you what are some major product projects that you're working on that you want to share with the audience so that they can kind of follow you and you can teach them some things? You can expect me to make more innovative solutions for the built world, and when I talk about the built world, I'm talking about the world that is growing food. And so whether that's a type of greenhouse structure that's attached to a home, or even just going and studying around the world, different greenhouse structures and documenting those with, with my drone uh, technology, you can expect to see that. You know, speaking of drones, I'm, I'm getting a drone that can fly indoors. I'm getting into the, the first person view world of drones. 
Um, and I'm getting into the, the, you know, the bigger ones that are able to even water your plants and, 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 and scan the land to see where plant health is going and whatnot. So that's what I'm doing now. It's just working my way, starting where I'm at and using the technology that I have to serve people on, on the level that I'm at and growing towards creating synergy between architecture, agriculture, and aerial imaging. And that's what Under One Sun is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to naturally start to express itself the more that I operate. Uh, you just said something, indoor drones. Yeah. What would you use the indoor drones for? Um, Put it this way. You ever see a 3D render on HGTV and they fly into the house and they're walking all smooth and whatnot? Can you imagine an indoor tour of a home, but you were flying a drone through it, right? Oh, okay. Just imagine that. Okay. Rather than just taking like photography, you also showcase the home by first flying around the surrounding area, then flying like into a window or into the front door and traveling through the front door, through the kitchen, over and around the kitchen, living room, master bedroom. You're just flying about, you know, just showcasing the house, showcasing the, the architecture that, that you're whatever you're showcasing, you know, it's just presentation. It's another way of experiencing the space. Yeah, so it's like basically you you can experience a walkthrough from, so I would imagine you would set it at average eye level, so about five and a half feet to six feet. You'll have hover the drone so they can kind of see it. Yeah. Ah, uh, oh, uh -huh. I like that idea. That I'm is really cool. You. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yep. Yep, it's coming. That's coming very yeah. soon. You got some really great ideas, Denzel. Yeah. I'm creative. It's all about just showing and presenting things in a manner that people can truly experience it. You know, it's, it's all about the experience. Whenever you are trying to create something, it's, you're not creating it for you ultimately. You're creating for the people that are, you know, observing it and taking it in and experiencing it. Yeah. Um, when I was at your house, you had a lot of Legos. Uh -huh. So do you think those Legos, you know, playing with them at, as a child inspired your now future as a, a architect? Uh, not really. No doubt. No, yes. Yes, really. Like, no doubt. My dad first got Legos for me. And I could literally, that makes me really like pause and just think about how great my childhood was. And shout out to my parents for making it great. My dad was feeding my creativity with those Legos. Like when I think about it, because I just love putting stuff together. Even when I can't put it together, I love to come back to it and see that it was just a simple way of looking at the thing on the diagram to make it easier to put together. But I play with Legos to this day, like I'll get five pound bag of Legos from eBay or a box of random Legos and make things out of them. Like make houses, make cars and just exercise that design eye because it's the same thing as working in AutoCAD, working in Revit. You, you have these different views of things and you're seeing like, how do I really make this 3D form? You start with yeah. a certain, you know, foundation and you just build out from there. And that's what building is. That's what everything is all about. Yeah. So I know that um, you don't just use your drones for architecture. You use them also to help businesses. Correct. Right? When someone is trying to advertise your business, can you tell us a little bit of the work you've done? Yeah. So I've done some work with a restaurant around town. I've done some work with a chef around town. And I'm starting out with some construction managers where we're starting to exhibit their process and, you know, the, the, the time lapse of them building a full building. So you get like, for example, the foundation, then the walls, then you no know, more walls and the finishings and whatnot. And it's all about showing the process of what people are doing. And I'm even doing things like journalism for, for SCAD. I'm doing, starting to do some journalism projects with the farmer's market to show just like how vast this economy is of people doing things in this manner 
So it just gives people another way of looking at things. It's better than just a picture on the ground. No, you get to see the mass scale of this whole park being full of people just experiencing food in a way. And so it's all about that. You know, it's about seeing, letting people's imagination see a certain side of life from another perspective. Yeah, I think, uh, I think drone before when drones first came out, right? Everybody thought they were kind of like just invasive, like, oh, uh, why, why do you want to fly over? But now hearing you talk about them, I see that they're not just a, they're not just a child's toy, right? Yeah. They actually have a lot of uses. Yeah. It can be very beneficial uh, to us. Right. Yeah. So. Yep. So I am part 107 certified. So if you see my stuff out there, I am, it is legal that I can make money on it. I know the air laws, I follow the air laws. I don't fly within restricted space, spaces. I, I use a strobe when it's nighttime or 30 minutes before and 30 minutes after dawn and dusk. It, there's rules like there is on the road. And I'd say they're even more strict because we're talking the air now. We're talking helicopter traffic. You know, even the military base traffic here in Savannah, um, the Coast Guard when I'm flying to Tybee. It's a true, not just the art, but it's a responsibility. And I love the gap. That, I love that that balance between the fun and like the seriousness of the drone world because it helps me. It helps me merge that those two parts of myself because I love having fun with things. Yeah, it makes sure that I'm doing the things I need to do so that I can be in this for for the long run. Um, how does one become? Would you say it's part one seven? Part one oh seven remote pilot. Yeah how how do you go about acquiring that license? So if you reach out to the FAA, if you Google the FAA, you'll be able to see where test centers are, and you know how it is today. Like they have all these people doing courses on different things. They have part one of seven courses. I personally studied on YouTube and just compiled a, a playlist of things that I can run through and just know all the different sections. And I was able to pass. You need what is a 72 to pass. And beyond that, you renew it every two years and it allows you to commercialize your drone. Now, you know, you can do whatever you want with it to serve a need in the world. And that right there, was inspired by my father who was 26 years in the military. Um, so shout out to him. And it was just a no brainer. I was like, wait, I'd be an architect with a drone. And you just pause and think, it's like you only get those views in the 3D world in your computer. You know, when you're flying around in your 3D software and you can zoom out and see the whole building and stuff. You think you're seeing it when you're walking around until you see some of the drone picture. I'm like, whoa, that's what it really looks like up there. It's like, yeah, you get a better view. You, you're getting actually a bird's eye view of the area. Exactly. Yeah, that's so cool. I never thought like Joe, I mean, yeah, drones would be so cool. It's <laughs> not no play play. You can have fun with it. They do like drone racing and stuff, but. The drones, that's going to take off. I wouldn't be surprised if drones are delivering some packages and doing some very good things for just, let's call it the efficiencies of things. Like I'm moving a bet within five years, you'll be able to look up and see more drones flying than you do now. Like how often do you see a drone flying? If I'm not flying it in town, I don't see nobody. But there are people that fly, but it's a point that only time is going to be able to tell in my perspective. Um, so Denzel, I, you are, how old are you? I'm 20, how old am I? 28. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if this cartoon was around when you were little, but have you ever heard of the Jetsons? Yeah. When you said drones flying around, it made me think about the Jetsons because remember they uh -huh. live in the, the building in the sky, uh -huh. you know, their cars are in the sky. So, uh -huh. yeah. So you're saying we're moving towards being the Jetsons. <laughs> On some type of jet, I'm not going to say, because people can't even drive nowadays. How are you going to fly? So I'm not going to no. say too much. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I want. I'm not ready. I'm telling you. 
So on some type of capacity, you like Amazon drones or FedEx, U- UPS, something's coming because there can only be so many cars on the road, in my opinion. And it's just all about logistics and however they make sense of that. And from there, I'll be the person teaching people how to fly, I guess. Yeah, I wonder if those, you know, those big companies who we depend on to deliver to deliver packages, I wonder does it benefit them financially to use the drones where because your your drone is uh powered by energy, right? Electricity. Yeah. Don't require any gas, right? Yeah, it's battery. Yeah. So it would actually probably save them because now they don't have to use gas, right? Right. <coughs> Excuse me. It'll take some growth, and you know. That creates a uh, safer environment for us because then we don't have all of the the um the vehicles on the roads yeah. that don't have all the emissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on a foundational level, you know, like of course there's little things you got to figure out to make that work, but I like exactly what you're saying and it makes sense. Technology is all about, like, what's the definition of technology? Just to make life a little bit easier and more efficient. When I'm flying that dog on drone, and for example, what's one way that I like to use it? I mean, you could just see what's going on in the neighborhood for one. Like, if you want to see someone's at the basketball court, shoot the drone up, uh-huh. fly four blocks that way, come back, you know, as long as it's in line, a visual line of sight. I mean, it's just surveillance, you know, if you were working with insurance and, you know, wanted to do something with crashes and see, like, what's going on with traffic and oh. stuff. It, there's a lot to it. It's it's an eye in the sky. It's like a mini helicopter. Yeah, I was just about to say that because a lot of times um, news uh, stations, they're using helicopters to fly over an area to see if you know why traffic is backed up or um you know for various reasons i remember on uh do you remember a show called cops bad mm-hmm. boys bad boys that you're gonna um <laughs> remember remember you would sometimes see like they would be hovering over an area mm-hmm. you don't have to put you don't have to put those people out there anymore which uh now that i think about it i'm like does that mean that someone's going to lose their job or could that person now become a drone operator? And so uh, let's not think about it as someone losing their job. They're just going to expand their skills yeah. and go into a new career field. Yeah, Because that with the advancement of technology, that is one of the things that many of us are concerned about um, are the elimination of jobs where mm-hmm. there's a human touch because now you can go in any grocery store and there's self-checkout. Yeah. Um, I am probably one of the few people I don't do self-checkout. It makes me anxious. You, I'm right, I'm right with you. It's like, I want someone to just do this for me. You know, like put in this gift card and split it with the credit card. I'm like pressing the button and waiting. Yeah. Everything. One exception. I do self-checkout at uh, Sam's Club, mm-hmm. but when you know when you go out, they do check, you know. But that's my one exception um, to it. But for the most part, I will stand in line and I will wait for the cashier. And there's a store whose name I don't have to call. They have so many registers where they're supposed to be a human person. Okay, there are no humans. They only have those humans out there doing, uh, like, the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, they have one human being that's monitoring, you know, say, eight to ten registers. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't like it. But what can I do? That's their company. All yeah. I can do is um, do what I do and go to the cashier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, um, what are some foods that you like to eat? Because you know I like talking about food. <laughs> you know what? 
ain't nothing like some good lion's mane mushroom or chestnut or other types of mushrooms. Um, oyster mushrooms. I go to the Forsyth Farmer's Market and Swampy Appleseed's mushrooms who's a, is who I use. His name is, excuse me, his name is Ansel. Great dude. Always has high quality mushroom. And what that does for a plant-based guy like myself is provides great texture and great options for creation because with those mushrooms, I can make like mushroom patties. I can make mushroom steaks. I can fry them almost like chicken tenders. I can, you know, what else make like falafels. There's so much you can do with it. You can make a ground beef type of thing with mushroom and walnut. And so now I'll get into like the things I like to use, like onions, walnuts, um, tomatillos, tomatoes. A lot of that's the sauce base of my of my foods. And then from there, I create what I have. And I'd also add that fruit. I'll eat fruit, what, 360 days out of the year if it was available. <laughs> like uh-huh. strawberries and figs and some almond butter. Leave me alone. I'm good. That's all I need. <laughs> I, need <nothing> else. <laughs> I love fruit. I love, you know, making fruit bowls with all types of fruit in it with some lemon and shredded coconut and a little bit of lime and tahini over it and some walnuts. You get all that together and it's just like, oh my God, it's a dessert, but it's healthy. And so things yeah. like that are what I was missing out on when I was, um, in college and that helped me realize why I was always cramping because I was dehydrated. And after learning that fruit is some of the most hydrating thing I could be doing for myself. I became addicted to it. Like I'll eat six mangoes in one sitting if I want to, or I eat like what a pound of strawberries and some blueberries and an apple because I know what I'm receiving from it. And so that's, that's honestly, if I wanted, if I could, if I could say this, I would say that fruit, it's 70% of my diet when it's peak fruit season. I eat that much fruit because it's all about hydration for me. And that's what I've learned. Keeps me full. It keeps me satiated. So how is your Achilles now? Oh, I'm good how now. Everything feel? Yeah. I'm good. I was actually training to get into, back into the NFL. But I got to the point where I was just ultimately tired. And so... That work I did up to then got me to a good point where the Achilles was good. And I've been doing things like yoga since then and getting back into the gym, doing my regular regimen and um, focus on like doing things within work, like standing desk and um, like always getting up when I, when I know I'm sitting too long and having a stretching routine. I keep my body at a good operating condition because I know it relates to my productivity and that's where the agriculture and the plant-based eating comes into the play. It's just all about that efficiency in my, and what I'm doing to, to let's call it level up on a day-to-day basis. Okay. So if someone wants to get in contact with you, if they want to use your drone services or they want, you know, well, all, all of it goes back to the drone services that they need some help. How do they get in contact with you? Do you are you on so, social media? Yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn and reach out to me on that. And you can search Denzel Hill or you can go on Facebook, search Denzel Hill. And you can also use Instagram where you can type in Mr. Dot under one son. And that's O-N-E-S-U-N so that you can then go on my link in my bio or DM me for more inquiries. And then from there, we'll take it to the sky. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Now I know there's another uh, service that you also offer um, before I let you go. And that is your uh, cat, cat designs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a little bit more on the back burner. I do more so like renderings and things like that. And even with that being said, I do have a house being built and finished in West Virginia right now. And so if if someone's looking to really do like a building project or solo building project, they have a construction manager, but they don't have anybody managing their drawings or creating, you know, the schematics, that's where you will come to me to and create that gap between you and your construction guy. Because where I come into the fold is creating and designing something that's not only functional, 
but it looks good. And so that's where, you know, me being a drone pilot, always out on site, knowing what it really takes to put things together. I can merge those two worlds together. I've got that experience. I have, you know, a resume of projects that I've been able to build that skill up with. So yeah, CAD drawings. Um, I use Revit personally, but I also use AutoCAD and, and a Rhino 3D software. Um, I do architectural renderings with that. So it's a, it's turned into a vertically integrated full scale service. And eventually I'll be able to have people working with me, partnered with me, you know, to help me build this thing out and make this vision come to. Okay. Well, listen, this is just the beginning of Denzel Hill. And he, like I said, he is one of my new friends. And so as his business is growing and is flourishing, I want him to come back on in a year or so and tell us what you've been able to accomplish. Okay. That's exciting. <laughs> yes. I want you. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. And then also, you know, uh, follow me on uh, Instagram at Demonique Podcast, or you can put in at the table with Demonique. And I want you to start tagging me in some of your pictures. It may be on Facebook, because I don't know if Instagram will allow it to show up in my feed, but uh, at least on Facebook. And that way, the folks who are following this podcast, they're able to see some of the stuff that you're growing throughout, you know, when we enter the spring. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll definitely tag you on some things and just the yeah. and stuff and screen. Let's create this whole family that we got here of people doing great things. Cause I'm not the only one that's doing great things. When we link our minds together, that's where we get what we need truly. Mm -hmm. And we inspire each other mm -hmm. and in conversations like this. You don't know what we could have inspired. Like that little kid, who has a drone, their parents could be listening to this podcast right now and say, oh, right. I thought I was just buying my little precious one a toy. Right. <laughs> they, can actually, they can actually do more. They can get the, okay, make sure I get the license number correct. What is it called again? The Part 107 Remote Pilot License. They can get a pilot's license. Get this. You can get it at 15. A lot really? of a lot of places you gotta wait till 16 to drive, right? You can get that thing at 15. By say 20 years old, you got five years in the industry. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't know you could get it at such a young age. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. Now, before I let you go, Denzel, do you know of any um, programs out there that will teach teens? Do you know of that right now? You know what? I don't actually. I don't. Right now, a lot of stuff is digital, and I'm willing to bet you can land on something good. But that puts a bug in my ear to have something because I'm so yes. happy. Yes. <laughs> I'll check back in with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look, I already got. I already got part of the curriculum. Rule number one: Don't crash. Rule number two: Do not crash. <laughs> Rule number three, before you take off, look up. Don't take off into a tree. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, all right. You never know. There could be a kid in, because I know you love to connect with people. Yes. There could be a kid in your community right now who could really use you. You know, there's, there's so many opportunities for, um, you know, adults to help out kids like, your, you know, your big brother, big sister programs. Um, in Savannah, there's a a lady, her name is Westland. Oh, gosh, I can't think of her name. Mahogany? Do you know uh -huh. what I'm talking about? I can't think of her name right now. I'm going blank. What's her name? It'll come back. She does the... She does the program for kids. Um, it is Blessings in a Backpack. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. I've heard Hold of that. On. I am not going to let this podcast end without mentioning her name. I'm still eating my snacks. Here you come.
Lady Mahogany. That's her name. Lady Mahogany. Uh, but her first name is Westland. And I can't think of her last name right now, but I'm going to look it up on Facebook. Westland Bowers. And she has a program, Blessings in a Backpack, uh, where she she started out with one school. I think she's uh, in more schools now where there were kids who she reflected about, um, reflected on how it was for her as a kid. And so she started this program to send kids home with a backpack of food mm. so that they would not be hungry on the weekend. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, she took something that she was passionate about and she's blessing others. You never know where your passion will lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mm. might be blessings in a drone. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it may lead, but hey, use your, use yeah. your skills to bless somebody else and to know that a kid at the age of 15 can get that license, that certification, that just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Denzel, I thank you so much for taking the time to come on here. And then also, uh, like I said, Denzel was our gracious host when I interviewed his friend, uh, Chef Alexander Mack. So twice you have been a blessing to me, and I just thank you for that. That's right, D. The first of many. Let's keep building. Keep building. Yes, we will. So until next time, y'all be blessed and peace. Peace.